Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a Miracle Made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver-infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle Made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made. Come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. Fake the Nation, episode 202. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about politics, and where we take a ruler to democracy and see how big it is. I'm your host, Nagin Farsad. Hello, and congratulations on finishing that very popular Netflix series that was either about true crime or tigers or remodeling or uh, getting rid of stuff. Uh, So now what? Now, you listen to this episode and let us get started with topic number one. Okay, you guys, we're going to talk about noise and joining me for this segment on our modern auditory malaise is comedian Shalewa Sharp and writer and podcast host Ashley Ford. Hey, guys. Thanks for coming on the show. Hello. Hey. Um, So we read uh, a a few different things about noise, and I just wanted to get a sense um, from you guys where – what is your relationship with noise? Like, do you ever get annoyed? Are you ever in your apartment? You both live in New York City, right? <laughs> okay, so do you, <laughs> so we're in the in an epicenter of noise, but it's not even some. It's suburbia has this problem. I mean, everywhere in the country has this problem. What What is your relationship, and do you find uh, uh, are you at odds with noise? I need a little noise. Interesting. Just a little. I need something. Uh, you know, a car going by or um, oh, the way my apartment is now with the setup of the buildings, there's like a odd kind of courtyard and there's wind constantly just kind of whipping right. around yeah, and it yeah. has a real 
angry wolves quality to it. <laughs> that at times is a bit much. Um, uh, I like to think that I keep a, a fairly quiet place for me personally, but I also talk to myself and sing to myself a lot. And I don't know how loud that is. Um, uh, yeah, I, I need a little noise. My parents, um, once they lived, uh, Deep, deep suburbs, deep suburbs, borderline country, deep okay. suburbs. And uh, um, it was too quiet. I did not care for it. Like, was it too quiet when you were growing up or what? No, is no, it... no. This was, I we, I was an adult when they moved out. I we see. always lived in a place where there was a little noise. No, yeah. Um, so, so when you go to visit, when you're I would like, go visit, this is I was weird. like, mm, there's not, this is too quiet. Right, yeah. right. Um, Ashley, what's your relationship with noise? I'm from Indiana, uh, and I didn't move. <laughs> You're automatically laughing. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, from so Indiana. Um, so I'm on that Hoosier shit. And so What does that noise, mean exactly? Noise is hard for me, bro. <laughs> like, it's really... Got, I oh, mean, because the so you, can, you grew up in like... Right, you grew up in the country. Is that right? Not really the country, no. It was like... I mean, it was in town. Like, I feel like... I don't. Where are you from? I'm from Palm Springs, California. So right, I grew right, up in a right. small town, a weird small resort town, a retirement yeah. community. I don't know how to explain like Midwestern, like mid-level cities to people, mm. but it's like you're not in the country, but you may encounter some country shit. Okay. okay. <laughs> yes. Like I didn't live technically in the country, but there was definitely like a field next to my house that led to a forest. Right. Um, but then there was just another neighborhood on the side of that, for the other side of that forest eventually. Yes. Right? Like, that's the kind of That's the kind of I situation so, that my parents was in. So this was, was in like Atlanta, Georgia. Quiet. So, yeah. It's quiet. So, it wasn't, so, it's quiet, but it's like, it's quiet at certain times. Mm -hmm. During the day, anybody could, like, drive by, you know, you hear cars, not many. Um, because most people are at their nine to five in the Midwest. Um, you may hear kids, especially in the summer, like you hear people noise, but you don't really hear like traffic noise or construction noise or things like that. You don't hear that. One of the things that I really miss is bugs. I don't hear bugs. In that that is something. Yes. I it, never hear cicadas or anything. In, in Atlanta, there's definitely the cicada situation that I had forgotten that I missed until I, I go back. What does that sound mean to you? It is just a constant reminder. Yeah. Constant buzzing that reminds you that life is happening. <laughs> that, yes. that's, that something is going on. It's in the background of everything. Yeah. And it just, yes. it sounds like hanging out outside, sitting on someone's yes. car hood, talking about all of the important things while just a yeah, is going yeah, on yeah. behind you, just a constant. <laughs> yeah. And it is a great, like, sound to me. It's just like an ambient sound, but I, I need something, some sort of ambient sound. I don't necessarily so want do to you, be a jack. Do you feel hammer. like, uh, right, but besides jack, like in your own home, do you feel like there is a whirring of technology sounds? Like, that are just happening. No, I don't think so. Because, like, the article sort of pointed out that uh, one of the articles that we read, a psychologist named um, Roseanne Capona-Hodge, she pointed out for, when it comes to kids, their nerves 
are stuck on overdrive and sensory experiences such as noise can really produce intense reactions. Add fearful experiences such as school shootings to an already anxious kid's world and you have even more reactivity. So she was pointing out that in her practice, she's noticed more and more kids having like misophonia, like a condition where they're sensitive to certain noises. Um, oh, I'm sensitive to the sound of breaking glass. Interesting. What does that do I to you? I am really sensitive. Um, I mean, it depends. There have been times where I've heard a broken glass and completely like burst into tears immediately. Wow. Um, in my home. Mm-hmm. When I'm in public, I feel like I'm a, especially in New York. I feel like I'm already a little bit on edge, and you never sure. know what's going to happen yes, in New York. Absolutely. So it's kind of like somebody breaks a bottle down the street, and it's just kind of like Shh, keep walking. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You're business. always on your toes. <laughs> yeah. But but in my home, hearing, and I'm better about this now. But this that is very recent, like probably within like the past five months. Um, but hearing like a glass break, hearing like in like kitchen breaking noises, things like that, I would I would either cry or completely dissociate. So this like, does, just, I mean, that's no. literally the kind of thing that the psychologist was pointing out to when it comes to kids. They're they're having to deal with just a lot more generalized noises from appliances, from whatever. And on top of like just an anxiety world that we live in and on top of probably like phone usage and all that shit that Mm -hmm. gives them other kinds of anxiety, it's the noise is just compounded these other phenomenon in in creating anxiety for children. Um, And it sounds like you, you know, you have like a fraction of something like what the psychologist is talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, and it's interesting because I, you know, after reading about all this stuff yesterday, I was like kind of sitting in my apartment and thinking like, what can I hear? Because I think Mm -hmm. what's interesting and they talk about like, you know, your blood pressure responding to things, even if you're not super conscious of them. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And you're, you know, your psyche responding. They they talk about like living near water, like having like an ocean wave sound in the background can calm you. You know what I mean? Ooh, Um, train tracks. I always lived near train tracks. Yes, was love that, train tracks. A lot. So was a that lot calming of, to you, or was that like stressful to you? Uh, calming, actually. Oh, interesting, interesting. Um, Me too. Yeah, the sound of literally the sound of just a, a whistle, distant, a right, distant, like right. like some sort of crazy country song. But yeah, and it was usually like. Um, not like commuter trains. Well, it's funny because mm-hmm. I think also that association is like very analog. You know, it's yeah. not something, mm-hmm. you know, it's not something like a kid today is like, oh, distant sound of train tracks. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah. like you say that and I instantly think of like some erstwhile <laughs> American Unless Midwest. they live in the Midwest. <laughs> right. Unless yeah. they live in the Midwest. Because, I mean, we're still like Midwest Indiana is still the crossroads of America. Mm-hmm. And those trains still keep people from getting to appointments on time. And they still wail in the middle of the night. And, and I forget about it until I go home sometimes and I hear it. And all of a sudden it's like this wave of calm. Yeah. Like I hear the train or I hear like the rattling of it or something like that. And it's just like. Yeah, and, and I don't even, and I'm surprised how many train tracks I encountered in Atlanta, Georgia, because I grew right. up like in Northeast Atlanta, and um, there was, you know, a, a, a random train track there that was used quite a bit. And then uh, before I moved to New York, I ended up in Southwest Atlanta and could hear 
commuter train and uh, freight trains. And I was just like, I've been throughout the city a good deal and always managed to end up somewhere where I heard. I mean, it was Terminus. Uh, you know, that was where all the trains ended for the South. So where yeah. you could get supplies and everything. But I'm surprised at how many of these tracks are still in usage yeah enough that it is calming when i hear it uh it's interesting so let's talk a little bit about like the the way work happens now with noise because one of the trends is like having these open um open plan office spaces and right you do so you hate it it's interesting because so you know people I've often asked me, I wrote a book um, called How to Make White People Laugh, available wherever books are sold. <laughs> and people, you know, will ask me, like, oh, like, people are, like, going on to, to write books themselves. Like, how did you do it? How did you get it done? You know, and I, I went to a writer's retreat, actually, and wrote a really large portion of my book at this writer's retreat in a fucking studio, quietly looking over five foot of snow and deer running, a family of deer, like, <laughs> running in the middle distance right and like it was the quietest most um you know bucolic setting i've ever been in i've never um i don't have that kind of quiet in my life and yeah i got a lot of shit done but the other i wrote like about half of my book that way the other half of my book i wrote sitting in bryant park here in new york city Mm. which is Maybe one of the busiest parks in America, Mm -hmm. (laughs) surrounded by the noise of a thousand other people (laughs) walking around, chatting, like doing their things, buying a sandwich, ordering a coffee, you know. It, there's a fucking little Ferris wheel, not a Ferris wheel. What are those things called? Oh, merry-go-round. Merry-go-round yeah. in, in Bryant Park. That is, I wrote half of the book it, uh, surrounded by so much noise, you know. Mm-hmm. And I and I think I'm just one of these people that sort of like needs a, a whole bunch of noise as like a buffer between that and just like the reality of my soul. <laughs> yeah, I do yeah. that when I write, when I have to write about something really tough, like once I get to the point where I have to write about something that I've probably been avoiding and being like, oh, I'll write every other part before I get here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right, um, right, right. I, I also need a buffer. I need something that separates me from my intense, strong emotions so that I can just get the thing get down. Get through it, yes. Just yes. get through it. And I, I usually end up listening to Sweeney Todd. While I'm writing hard things used, because it's intense. Weird. I used to write at the club. <laughs> okay. Uh, I spend a lot of time at, at nightclubs uh, dancing or whatever. And yeah. I, uh, one in particular in Atlanta. And I just knew, like, my best friend worked the door there. I knew all the people who opened it, all of that kind of thing. So I would um, just have notebooks on me. And this was in the time of Wait, the so zine. at night when it was yeah, functional? when I was open, I could sit, sit under, you know, before it got crowded and there were just people doing yeah, club yeah. things, but the DJ's there and they're playing yeah. music. I could, and I think it's the music element of it too, because I like to listen mm. to music a right. lot. So I would just sit there, but I mean, it's still through a booming system and there's still, there's still glasses so is, and ice right. being poured. And I, and, but and, I and could you just, could get some yeah, stuff I don't know done. if I was, yeah, I was just right. What is it about? Okay, so these are like very noisy situations we're talking about. Mm-hmm. What is it about the open office plan that doesn't work for you, Ashley? People won't leave me alone. I don't know if anybody <laughs> else. Yes, it's had the invitation. Problem, mm-hmm. But it's just like the fact that people can see you makes them feel like you are available to be interrupted, like no matter what. 
Yeah. And it's also just this thing of like, I mean, in general, I'm a pretty anti-authority person. I don't like nobody telling me what to do. And I definitely don't like anybody feeling like they could be like, you're supposed to be in your seat for eight hours a day. And I walked by your desk and you weren't there. So yeah, where yeah, were you? Yeah. Like stuff like that. Well, I'd rather I'd rather be broke. I'd rather be broke. <laughs> I'd rather be broke. I don't have kids. I don't have a mortgage. I could do with very little. Me and my dog are going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Okay? Like yeah. I can feed Astro. So I just <laughs> I can't I can't do it. I I just don't have it in me. It's too much those fluorescent lights. Well, the uh, other thing about the interesting uh, thing about like the the conversation we're having is that we're all like pretty privileged to be able to have careers where we do a lot of like intellectual work, right? And that we can sort of choose the setting in which we do it. And um, and some of this, like, wh- you know, where where does noise play in, in your mind while you're working and how does that feel and all that stuff has like a whiff of privilege. Oh, no, absolutely. You know? I read the, years ago uh, something about um, – a quiet home uh, denotes how much money is being made in the home. Yeah. That's that's why I've always, yeah. Right. And that totally made sense to me because I was like, yes, no, I, um, you know, I try to keep a quiet home, but I know me. Yeah. And I, if someone were to come in, they'd be like, why is it? It's just you. Yeah. <laughs> how is how is this happening? And I'm like, I I I, I, um, I grew up in a super chaotic environment when it comes to being able to be quiet or be alone. I mm-hmm. until I moved out of my mom's house at 18, I could I couldn't just go to my room and be like, I need quiet. Can you imagine telling a black mom, I'm gonna go to my room for a while. I just need some quiet. I mean, I <laughs> I was able to do that, but it meant nothing. It meant nothing. That, yeah, it, it meant, meant nothing. nothing. If I if I was like, I'm going to my room, I need first if I announced that I was going to my room, that's gonna be like, a what? that's a roasting right there. <laughs> and then if I went to my room and closed my door too hard based on someone's unknown standards, doors open. Like what? Uh, uh, right, right. No more right, privacy. Right, right. So I mean, I, uh, coming from uh, an ethnic family, my, I, you know, in, in a in an immigrant family, uh, the idea of quiet was really. I would like. <laughs> this is so embarrassing. I would sometimes like like waltz into the kitchen and make an announcement to my parents, mm-hmm. like, um, I have a really important test tomorrow, and I'm just going to need <laughs> the entire house to recognize that. <laughs> Because they're immigrants, they were like, you know what? She's gotta, she's gotta get straight A's, and we, you know what I mean? It was the pressure on me to be perfect in that way was so intense that like, I they they were they were like, yes, you have a test tomorrow, and that's the most important thing happening in this house. Oh right my now. goodness, you know they I mean? would wow. they would have roasted me to, to this death. day, <laughs> to this day. I wouldn't. My family would still be bringing it up. Yeah. Like, I'm not she, working these three jobs so she can have her own walk-in closet to sit in. You Go in there. Why you got to tell me what you're doing? Like, it would have been a wrap. <laughs> a whole wrap. Like, yeah, there was no so room funny. for that. But there yeah. is also something. I think that's part of it now is, like, it's not just, it's knowing that not having the quiet is agitating you, but feeling like you are not entitled to, to ask have, for right. quiet mm-hmm. space. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not yeah. necessarily that it's like it's there. It's that not only is it there, you feel like if you need to get out of that, 
that people are going to look at you like, what makes you think you're special? Which is such a weird thing yeah. that people do. Like somebody just, tells you like, this is like, I think this I is can the thing I need. Yeah. I just need like, this one thing and to have a, like, a whole house full of people special. like what? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is something, though, I, I have to say about the idea of quiet. You know, you mentioned like the, the quietness level of someone's house is like directly correlated with how much money they make. Mm-hmm. And I think of like these sort of like these depictions of wealth in film and television are really a quiet yes you know silent silent and and i think there is no noise in the movie ordinary people right (laughs) um yeah i'm i'm thinking about that that show trust um about the what was that guy who lived in italy or something and he owned um the the in his in his grandson was kidnapped do you know what i'm talking about oh it's a movie it was a movie and it's a tv show called trust oh anyways i can't. yeah it was it's like a famous, a, it's a famous, famous guy sto- yeah i know what famous you're talking art about collection i can't yeah. remember the name. anyway but like the depiction of wealth in the in the film and in the the show is like just quiet and i want to say joyless yeah so yes. i yeah. think there's i think there's something about there's the there's the sound i, I used to live next to a pr- playground um, in the East Village in New York City, and I heard kids playing all the time. And it's funny because I, you know, some people come to me like, "Oh, that must be so annoying." And I was like, "No, it's full of joy. Like I actually really <laughs> love it. That the sound of these children keeps me going. It makes me feel bright and and lighter. Um, mm-hmm. And and I really, really did love that sound. Um, but I think so. There's like there there's so much class distinction that we can make with sound a, the sound of a of a house of a mom and a kid and yelling and all that stuff is joyful to me the sound of um of a subway rattling by and a jackhammer sounds also like poverty you know there's mm. there's these sounds that kind of have a, a particular class distinction to them right um and and it's interesting because sometimes the sound of the subway and the jackhammer rattling accompanies the sound of joyful chatter inside the house, right? Like right. there's there's these you know um, overlaps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I th- but I think it's there's something about the the sound of wealth being so quiet that I find very depressing. It is. It's distant. Yeah. It's like it, it's very cold and distant because you think about like how yeah. you end up. In a in a like, it's the idea of the rich person sitting in the big house on all the land, all alone. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Here's my last. Like that's what it is. Yeah, that's what it is, and it's sad. Um, mm-hmm. here's my last question for you guys: Are you the type of people mm-hmm. that will call three one one and make a noise oh, no. complaint? Mm-mm. No, no, Never. no. I'm not a snitch. <laughs> Meaning, no, and it's because funny. I because I I know where I live. Mm, mm-hmm. I I know where I live, and so I know yeah. what I live in. Currently, I live in Bushwick. Um, there are lots of parties to be had. Yes, mm-hmm. let them have their parties. Party. I'm I'm here. I'm here because I I, I live here. But this isn't that's this I, isn't. It's not my place to stop. Yes. Y'all have been here for generations. How yes. am I going to come in and be like, uh, you're going to need to turn off your little your little music. I'm trying to get a nap in. What are you talking no, about? No, it's like, it's but, funny. Yeah. yeah, it's not It's not your place. You saw what the neighborhood was like when you got there. Yeah. They didn't stop throw up some sort of it. a yeah. hot, like Hollywood fake 
thing, you know, town. And you were like, yeah. And then it all fell down. And you're like, what? That's not <laughs> what happened. You saw all of that. So you should have. I mean, I know that there. I um, uh, I'm originally from Flatbush. Uh, Brooklyn, and I know that's where I live now. Yeah, and so the West Indian mm. population—that's yep. where yep. it is. And so, like, that's also, I guess, maybe in my formative years, what I think of, um, what colors me. And so, I know that a lot of people moved into what is now called Prospect Lefferts Garden, and oh. <laughs> and they kind of complained about steel drum practice mm. like steel drum rehearsal bands having rehearsals there and i'm like how do you move to a west indian neighborhood and there's no there's no doubt that that's what that is that is a west indian neighborhood and complain about the steel drums yeah right right did right, you do right, no right. research did you were right. you not i agree how do you, well, how do it's you funny, move we have, years um, and years, like decades? We, so I, I lived on, uh, I used to live on Third Street in the East Village and I made a movie called Third Street Blackout that was set in the, um, that was set in the blackout after Hurricane Sandy. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a character that's based on a real life person um, in the show and in the movie. And he is this guy that lived across the street from me that just DJed very loudly out his window. The speakers were pointed out right. the window. Uh -huh. So it was like for the block, he was just DJing music. Mm -hmm. And in the summer, it's just sort of all day long. And we all as a neighborhood were sort of like, that's what happens. Yes. You know, we don't we never. Uh, and that and I was so uh, and he was like you know, um, an anchor for the neighborhood. Everybody knew him. Everybody shot and, and, and still does. And, uh, and, and, you know, and I, and I got his permission, like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to cast someone to be you. And he was an extra in the movie and it was right. really fun. Um, but, uh, I, but that's the thing we, you sort of like, you're like, Oh, I'm going to live on third street on this particular block. Like I'm going to do it with the knowledge that this, this guy DJs the neighborhood, right. you know, yes. and that's just something we all agree to, you know? And, yes. and it is also we all an important to. thing about noise is that when something goes wrong, if you know the noise, then when it's not there, you, you know, know that something has right. gone wrong. Right, right, right. So yep. it's important to know that. And sometimes it's important to hear. Well, and that's exactly, you know, during the blackout, it was sort of like, oh, uh, let's go check on our buddy. Like, where's the music? You know right, what I yeah, mean? Yeah, exactly. And so that, like, that, was what? A, that was, and he became sort of like a, a point of contact during the blackout yeah, when you couldn't contact, you know, when, when all the communication was down. Yeah. Um, all right, you guys. Guys, uh, thanks for sharing with I. You know, I always I think to myself, I'm gonna let's go. We're gonna talk about noise, and it's such a weird little subject. And is there anything to say about it? And then here we are, having said a shitload of things about fucking noise. You know what I mean? It's just remarkable. Mm -hmm. I think you guys are fantastic. Thank you so much, um, Shalay. Where sharp? Where do people find you? Uh, at Silky Jumbo, all one word, traditional spelling on all of the social media. And Ashley Ford, where do people find you? I smash fizzle on Twitter, smash fizzle on Instagram, and everything is available from my website at ashleycford.com. You guys, thanks so much for joining uh, the show and talking about noise. We're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to talk about the history of loneliness. Today's show is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app 
that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. I have used Rocket Money. And you guys, honestly, I had no idea how many things I was subscribing to that I didn't want to be subscribing to. I think we all go into, we enter into subscriptions with a Pollyanna view that we're going to use as a subscription, even though it's a super obscure, you know, educational app from Albania that uh, teaches Russian math or whatever. And then you're like, I'm never going to use this. Why did I get it? I should remember to cancel it. And then you don't. And I know you guys are like me and I know you've done this to yourselves. And guess what? 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. So we're all in this bucket. And I think paying for that stuff is so angering and Rocket Money is there to help because basically Rocket Money shows you, hey, look at this is what all the things you are subscribed to. But then here's the bigger thing. To unsubscribe, you don't have to go through the whole rigmarole. Rocket Money unsubscribes for you with a click of a button. It's so easy. The other thing Rocket Money did for me, which I was incredibly grateful for, was reduce the cost of one of my bills. It was my cable bill. Yes, I still have cable. Rocket Money has over 5 million users that have saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I mean, that tracks for me and for the number of things I was paying for that I'm frankly ashamed of. So thank you, Rocket Money, for like fixing the shame glaze on my life. Uh, so stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation, you guys. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Uh, next topic. So we read The History of Loneliness by Jill Lepore in The New Yorker. And as we tape this, we're still sheltering in place. So the question of how modern life became so lonely is of particular interest. And to talk about this, I'm joined by comedian Mike Kaplan. Hi, Mike. Hello. And comedian Dan, a dude. Hey, Dan. Hey, Nagin. Um, so first off, uh, what was your reaction to this piece, The History of Loneliness? I, uh, if I may, uh, it, it's like, it was fascinating to, like, 
learn like statistically the numbers of like that you know a hundred years ago i feel like we know you've we've learned that it used to be people lived with their families like multi-generationally which still happens you know in some some cultures some communities around the world but in america uh at least it's become you know like more individualist to be like you know get, go out on your own the nuclear family like have your own place you don't live with your parents and grandparents forever that's seen as like a a, a failure of a kind and like when people are getting back to it, it it's not seen as like oh you're you're close with your loved ones but you know you're like oh you're not you're not making it as a separate entity but so it was to see that it was like 90 something percent whatever the percent was a massive percent it, i think of it was like, literally it was 95 percent of that, people lived in 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 not al- only five percent lived alone and that was that was kind of mind-boggling to learn because i mean I, I think i've read statistics i don't know if it was in this article that today even people among people who a lot of people still do live with a partner but like 50 percent of people uh, identify as lonely, like which includes a lot of people who are partnered who like right. which is even potentially worse to be feel lonely when you're with a person like that. There's nobody that you're close to, nobody who understands you. So it's to see that at least, you know, 100 years ago, it's it's only a recent thing. It's only now that there's so much loneliness and that that feels good, uh, historically speaking, at least, if not. Because like we can we can find our way back to the thing that was meant to be that had been for millennia. Um, Can I just do like a quick mention of that fucking heartbreaking story of the chimpanzees that she started out with? Oh yeah. Oh my God. There was like a chimpanzee and like a couple kind of deal. And in the, in the Philadelphia zoo in the 1800s, one of the first zoos in, or the first zoo in America. And one, and this isn't a, you know, I'm not, well, we're here to spoil this article. So I will. So what, but this happens in the very beginning anyways, just to make the point that we're primates and we need people like the chimpanzee, one of the chimpanzees dies of like some kind of heart failure or something. And her partner has such I'll just read the the passages I just it was so horrible he dashed himself against the bars of the cage and butted his head upon the hardwood bottom and when his this burst of grief was ended he poked his head under the straw in one corner and moaned as if his heart would break and I just straight up cried when I read that I was like wow like paragraph three of this article and I'm already in tears um but it it was I think what was so tearful about it is how very, very human it is, right? And it we're seeing it through um, the eyes of a chimpanzee. I mean, uh, that- I had a different reaction because I read that and I was like, man, this chimp was whipped. Like, <laughs> seriously, bro. You got to keep your distance, bro. <laughs> yeah, man, you're you're totally free now, except for the cage that you're in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's plenty of other fish in the sea outside of the bars that you can't escape. <laughs> um, uh, it also no, it made wasn't... me really regret watching Tiger King, anyways, uh, for a whole host of other reasons. But uh, Dan, what were you gonna say? I, it was super super depressing article. I do think it was interesting. And Nagin, I wonder if you felt this as well, but. First generation uh, mm. people, we kind of straddle those two worlds. Like, you know, the article's like, back in the day, people used to all live together. I'm like, yo, my parents and their parents and their parents did th- did this. Like, this is mm. our generation, basically. Um, and in a way, I think that, I think that in, 
immigrant kids have it the best in a way because we still kind of have that and our families are still super close mm-hmm. and super huge but we st- but we also get the you know we get our own apartment we get our own place um so i do but think that but we're the the generation after which it frays right? yeah no our kids are fucked but we <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it's interesting because i thought immediately as i was I, I thought about the you're exactly right dan that that speaks to me exactly because what i first thought about is one of the places that we stay when when we've gone to iran is um my grandmother and grandfather's house that was like this kind of two-story like sort of uh, compound. I mean, what you know, this makes it sound lavish. It was definitely not, but it was. Um, my grandparents lived there, and then my uncle lived there with his wife and his four kids. And then as they grew up, I think one of the kids also lives there now with his kids, um, and you know, my cousins. And so it it it's and it's fantastic. It's sort of like it's sort of like walking into constant hang that's what it feels I mean I I really love to see it and there there's this thing that's happened in modern life too which I wonder what you guys think about and how how much complicity we have in it as comedians is this concept of like hating your in-laws and like doing bits about hating your in-laws I mean you are Dan are you married or no no I have a I, I do have a lady friend so do you have a relationship with her parents or do you, do, do you guys, have you guys ever been in relationships where you like complain about the parents, you know, your in-laws or like, or even your own parents are like, oh, I would never want to be around my parents all the time. Um, that line, that kind of, those kind of themes happen a lot in comedy. And I feel like why, where did we, how do we get here where we like hate parents? <laughs> you know what I right. mean? You know, uh, I've been thinking about this because like I... I am not uh, similarly. I don't have a big family. I don't have, uh, and I have a family who's been in America for at least several generations. Uh, so, my my mom. I'm an only child. My mom is an only child, and uh, we actually just lost my grandmother, my mom's mother, uh, a little uh, about a month ago. And uh, one thing that's been, you know, it's it is sad, and also it has brought me even closer to my mother. Like b- partially because of the pandemic, and she lives alone, and I, you know, I'm, I used to talk to her like once a week. That would be like a nice time to check in, and then she had her life and her friends and her activities, yeah. and now she has you know, uh, less, uh, less going, like no, you know, she'll go out for walks, but she doesn't have as much human contact. She doesn't live with a person. Like I'm fortunate to live with my girlfriend. And I, I think that, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot because, you know, when I was a kid, I had a good relationship with my, my, my parents before they, before they were divorced, we all lived together. I was sheltered and fed and clothed and cared for. And then it seems like a human thing, or at least in our cultural thing, at least, you know, in in Western culture, for me, I can talk about, I guess. Uh, I'm like, everybody, okay, no, I only know me. Um, (laughs) Like, you know, as a teenager, you know, you start to become your own individual person and be like, "Eh, get away from me, mom and dad, who cares? Or mom and mom, or dad and dad, or parent and parent, whoever you, many parents, polyamorous parents, whoever, you know, (laughs) and eventually, like, I'm going to be my own thing. I'm going to be, you know, my, and then mm-hmm. you're an adult. And I remember in a, as an adult, 
my relationship with my parents, I was finally like, oh, that that teenager was probably annoying, you know, like uh, and now I'm like, oh, I'm but you're you were originally part of their body. You are made of them literally. And then there's this separation that happens gradually until you're like, I'm my own person. And then eventually you come back around maybe to be like, oh, I'm I'm part of this family. And like the the close you can feel this closeness again. And maybe some people don't depend. Obviously, not everybody loves their family of origin. Not everyone was treated well. Like there's your piece. Some people have their logical family as opposed to their biological family, your chosen family. But like, I feel fortunate that I now get to like reconnect with my mom in a way that uh, that, you know, I never really even thought about it. It used to be just like, I'm myself, I'm on my own, I'm succeeding, I'm doing it, I'm heading in this direction where maybe you can get too far in that direction. Like I just, I read about like the new, the donut economic model where it's like, you wanna have everybody get at least this much, otherwise they're in the donut hole and they don't have enough. But you don't wanna have too much more than this because then that'll like ruin, you know, the the planet, the uh, economy, the the weather, the, the the ecology, the system. And so I feel like, at a certain point, you need to have your own identity, and also you you need to recognize that you're part of a larger thing, or maybe not need, but you get to if you want to. So I think that the to answer your question uh, from many years ago, uh, <laughs> the the reason that we have this like you know my mom does this you know or my is because we we do have that need at least somewhere within us to become our own person to forge our own path and right. then that expands and it's like a roast joke you know the ideal of a roast is like somebody that you love that you're like I'm gonna say mean things about this person that I really actually secretly respect and hopefully when you make jokes about your own family you're like they are me I care about them but boy they, this person that I care about sure does some things that I want to talk about but if it gets too far in that direction and other people are like yeah your mom really is like that you're like hey you're not hey you can't don't shut up you know yeah no i mean and and i and i (laughs) i feel like it's it's a roast joke that you know and it's that teenager vibe that people do not get out of like in their 20s in their 30s in their 40s they're still doing it you hear like if you hear about someone living with their mother it's like some indicator that they failed in life or if you feel you hear about a family that like lives next door to their in-laws or whatever and the in-laws help with childcare, you're like oof you know that's great about the child care but man that must be rough there's this notion and i Believe that all of you can hear the fucking siren, <laughs> the fucking car alarm in the background. Yeah. Let, <laughs> let's give it a quick sec for that thing. I don't know when it started. Oh, there, I just did it. Okay, here we go. But th- there's this notion that, um, oh my God, what was I going to say? That you've done something horribly wrong with your life. Um that um right that like you know oh they're they're you know you live next to your in-laws i mean that's great that they can take care of the children but like oof how tough it is to live near your in-laws I, there's this idea that we should have boundaries like the word boundaries is such a in vogue term it's been in vogue for like 10 years or whatever everybody has boundaries so many live respect my boundaries so and so doesn't know my boundaries blah 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 boundaries and it comes into play in a lot of different realms and in in some very legitimate ways but in this way when it comes to human loneliness i think we have taken boundaries way too far i want to remove boundaries and i want people to like fucking 
get back together with their uh, their people. You know yeah. what I mean? And in and I don't, you know, it's like all this alone time and I need my space and like why? Why do you need your space? We don't actually need space. You alone will suffer and die because that's what happens to human beings because they're not supposed to have their space and be alone. That is exactly the opposite of what we need. And I'll just say by the biological response according to the article, um uh, she writes, quote, we breathe fast, our hearts races, our blood pressure rises, we don't sleep, we act fearful, defensive, and self-involved, all of which drive away people who might actually want to help and tend to stop lonely people from doing what would benefit them most, reaching out to others. Um, are you, where are you, are you on board with getting rid of all of these boundaries that we set up? <laughs> you know, <laughs> basically, Dan. I have very a very bizarre firsthand experience with this that I'm going through right now. Uh, yeah, I moved to New York uh, four months ago for this uh, for this job, and the job is in Long Island. My parents live in Long Island, and the job is 15 minutes from my parents' house. But I was like, "There's no way I'm living with my parents, even for the you know four hours that I get back from work. I can't do it. I need my own space." And I got myself a beautiful apartment in Brooklyn. Coronavirus happens. And uh, I find I, I I was about to come back to L.A., but then I found out that my parents just, you know, I, for, for some reason, everyone's parents weren't taking this seriously. Yes. Yes. My, like I found out my dad went to the supermarket to buy like one carrot. And I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> so so I decided to move in with them. And I've been living with my parents for a month now. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. So it's. The most bizarro, weird thing. Um, and in the beginning, it definitely was a little tough to adjust to it. But like, literally, we spend the whole... It's not even like I go to work. We spend literally the whole day together. We wake up, we have breakfast together. <laughs> then I go off, do something. Then we have lunch together. Then we both we all start drinking at like 5 o'clock. That's lovely. Have, my mom makes dinner. And my dad like bosses us around. And then we watch like Homeland. Like, it's it's... <laughs> So fucking bizarre, but there's definitely something kind of nice about it. Like, there's definitely something kind of fun about there's always going to be someone in the house, always someone to hang out with. Like you said, it's like there's always a hang. Um, I think that's lovely. It's funny because I spend, I'll stay at my parents' house like really long time over Christmas. You know, the business shuts down. And now that I have this baby, like, you know, they want to spend time with the baby. I mean, we were there for like over three weeks and people find the idea of like voluntarily staying with your parents for like, you know, almost a month to be totally insane. Um, but I, again, and then again, maybe it's from our, because of our cultural context that it it's fine for me. You know what I mean? Um, sure. They drive me crazy and all those things, but there's also like, there's this ultimate comfort. I think there's a biological thing that sort of switches on, which is that you're safe because you're in numbers. You know, yeah, and um, and I, I, I feel like we've gotten so you know we've gotten so into this like this you know turn on, especially now that with like the the tech world like a Netflix, it, it's not even Netflix and chill now. It's just like Netflix and be solitary and don't in interact with anyone. You know, yeah. um, in pandemic or not, it, it worries me. And then I think in in the middle of a pandemic, I just, I, I worry more that A, this lo aloneness will either 
grab hold and become more and more of our reality because we've been living like this for a month or whatever. Or the more hopeful analysis is that we will we'll go in the other direction and be like, oh, that fucking sucked. I want to be around people and I want to be around people all the time. Yeah. Uh, what do you think in closing, do you, what, what effect do you think this pandemic will have on our concept of loneliness? Uh, I think I, for so many things, this pandemic will, uh, it's sort of forcing uh, like, you know, new, new ways of behaving, new ways of acting and doing and being like, and just existing in, in your space, in your life, in your mind, in your, your relationship or the people, if you're living with people. And there are certain things that like when it's done, hopefully will, will be like, Ooh, glad to not have to do that or glad to get to not mm. do that. But then there's some things that might be like, Oh, it's actually nice to like ha have been in this situation where I'm cooking with my girlfriend mm. more mm -hmm. like than we were before, like ordering food less, you know, just being like, hopefully in the future, it'll be more by choice and not uh, be like, Oh, we, now choose to do this thing that we were forced to do before. So I think that with with loneliness, I mean, I, the good thing about this time, or one good thing, one one silver lining of this atrocity, is that the abundance of time that more people have means that like 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 now, like Dan Adut and I have not had a conversation in many years, and now we are because of in a way because of this because mm, now yeah. we have the time and the capacity. So hopefully we you know we can take the positives from this you know the silver linings from this dark cloud and then move them forward uh, and continue to enact them when the sky is brighter. All right, you guys, uh, that is the end of that segment. Um, quickly, uh, oh, and I just want to say to everybody, um, if you live with your parents or your in-laws, um, bonus points from Nagin Farsad. <laughs> you just get life bonus points. I think it's fucking great. I don't think you made mistakes. I think you're smart, and I think you are probably happier. Um, I uh, want for people to know where to find you guys online. Where do they do that, Mike Kaplan? Uh, thank you so much for offering that. I will, before I say where you can find me, I just wanted a real quick plug for my buddy, Josh Gondelman, a hilarious comedian with wonderful, positive jokes about his in-laws. He's like, <laughs> basically, these are people, like I've new parents <laughs> who didn't get to know anything embarrassing about me from earlier in life. So he's like, I'm pro-in-law. So if you want some pro-in-law material, check out Josh Gondelman, wonderful yes, comedian. I know exactly <laughs> like the stuff you're talking about. It is, it is very pro-in-law. And in if after that, if you want, uh, I also have a bunch of comedy albums. My latest one uh, in 2020 uh, is the album called AKA, available wherever albums are. You can follow me on social media at Mike Kaplan, M-Y-Q-K-A-P-L-A-N. And my podcast is called Broccoli and Ice Cream. And thank you so much again for having me. Dana Dude, where do the people find you? Uh, well, first, I wanted to start off by saying thank you so much for having me. Because <laughs> Mike ended with it. I started with it. Um, and uh, uh, you guys can find me on my socials at Stand Up Dan uh, on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, you should listen to my food podcast, Green Eggs and Dan. Um, 
and uh, soon to be on the new Netflix show, The Crew. Great. Thank you guys so much. That is it for the show, you guys. I want to thank the production team here at Fake the Nation. That's our producer, Anita Flores, our talented audio engineer, Andy Christens. Gabby Alter wrote our theme music, and Lily Fleshler helps with research. And you guys, we'd love to hear from you. Send us your feedback, topics we should be chatting about, or guest ideas you might have, or, or recipes you think I should be making. I don't know. Leave us a voicemail, 347-770-4981, or drop us a line at commentsatfakethenation.com. If you like what you hear, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because it helps people find out about the show that's real. Thank you, guys, and until next week, goodbye. <laughs>